0: From Creation Ministries International, you're listening to creation.com's article podcast. The research and insights that give God the glory refutes evolution and gives you the answers to defend your faith. I'm Joseph Darnell. Many proponents of evolution repeatedly cite examples of natural selection as evidence of evolution. That is, evidence of the sorts of processes that could have turned microbes into man, given enough time. Often the terms natural selection and evolution are used interchangeably, as if they were synonymous. Occasionally, an evolutionist will speak out against such error. One notable example was John Endler, who in his 1986 book Natural Selection in the Wild, warned that natural selection must not be equated with evolution, and he also said, "...natural selection is common enough in natural populations to have been detected in a wide variety of organisms." However, natural selection does not explain the origin of new variants, only the process of changes in their frequency. Endler had seen this himself in his own previous research on guppies in mountain streams in Trinidad, Tobago, and Venezuela. He observed that populations of guppies there include drab-colored males, as well as brightly colored ones, and the relative frequency of each group goes up and down in line with predation pressure. If predators are few or absent, brightly colored males predominate, as female guppies prefer them as mates. So gaudy males are more likely to pass their genes to the next generation, but when predators are numerous. The better camouflaged drab male guppies are less likely to be eaten than the gaudy ones, and so the females have to be content to mate with the survivors, thus, drabness becomes predominant in the population again. The guppy population dynamics are indeed a terrific example of natural selection. Ironically, however, Endler's warning in his 1986 book hasn't stopped others from incorrectly misrepresenting his guppies as demonstrating evolution. For example, Richard Dawkins proclaimed it to be a spectacular example of evolution before our very eyes. But it most definitely is not, as there is no new genetic information in evidence anywhere here. There is not a shred of any evidence from Endler's credible guppy research that fish could have turned into fishermen, fishmongers, and fish physiologists. (laughs) And fish physiologists. Yet that is what the evolution story would have us believe. Isn't it obvious? Natural selection can eliminate, but never create. Written by David Catchpole. As Creation Magazine has pointed out many times, Natural selection has been amply observed happening in many populations of insects, animals, fish, and plants, but in all instances it is not evolution. Whether by deferential reproduction or deferential survival, natural selection results in the culling or loss of genetic information, not its creation. That last point was certainly obvious to another noted evolutionist who spoke out against the natural selection equals evolution sham, the late Lynn Margulis. Just before her death in 2011, she said in an interview, natural selection eliminates and maybe maintains, but it doesn't create. That's telling it like it is. Natural selection by itself generates no new genetic information. It can eliminate genes that already exist, but never create. According to standard evolutionary theory today, evolutionists look to mutations as being the process responsible for generating the new genetic information evolution requires, which is then sorted by natural selection. But where is the evidence of this happening? Margulis had a very blunt and bleak assessment of this. Note again that she was no creationist, being absolutely committed to Darwin's ideas of evolution. Which she happily defined as, Darwinism says that there has been no change through time since all life comes from a common ancestor. But her biological experience and observations of nature made her contemptuous of the Neo-Darwinist faith in mutations as being the engine of evolution. She said, Neo-Darwinists say that evolutionary change occurs when mutations occur and modify an organism. I was taught over and over again that the accumulation of random mutations led to evolutionary change, and I believed it until I looked for evidence. Indeed, when other evolutionists over the years have been pressed to give specific evidence of mutations that increase the information in the genome, they are unable to give coherent answers. That's because mutations are overwhelmingly a downhill process. Is it any wonder that Margulis went looking for some other mechanism that might provide a means of evolutionary change, latching onto her own pet theory of endosymbiosis? Not that there's any evidence of any evolution there either, but Margulis was certainly right to point out the dearth of evidence for mutations and natural selection ever being able to create the evolutionary change required for all living things to have arisen from a common ancestor. As with Endler's guppies, when one looks at the evidence in the real world, standout examples of natural selection and mutations show a consistent loss or mere maintenance of genetic information, not the gains that microbes to man evolution requires. Fire ants invading parts of the USA quickly call out fence lizards that don't do the twitch dance to shake off biting ants. Only the twitch dancing lizards survive, a characteristic which was already present in the lizard population. In the face of such natural selection, the lizard population is now better adapted to maintain a presence in fire ant areas. No new genetic information, therefore no evolution. A deadly parasitic fly on the island of Kauai acoustically tracks down chirping male crickets, but crickets with an X chromosome mutation that silences them evade detection by the killer fly. Somehow, the mutation-mute crickets have been able to find mates and pass their mutated genes to the next generation. Note that the genetic information for chirping has been eliminated. In this classic example of natural selection and genome degradation, Kauai's crickets are now silent, but at least they survive. In Nebraska's Sandhills, deer mice with a mutation conferring pale coloration are better camouflaged against bird predators than normal deer mice. But the mutation is a downhill change, not gain of function. No justification whatsoever for those trying to claim that this is the latest icon of evolution. Cliff swallows live in mud nests they build on highway bridges and road culverts. But when flying out from the nest, they are vulnerable to being killed by passing vehicles, particularly those with longer wings, less able to take off vertically than birds with shorter wings. The genes for longer wings are thus being progressively eliminated, leaving behind a population with most birds having shorter wings. In the absence of their usual predators found on the mainland, the mutant flightless offspring of beetles on windswept islands are favored by natural selection over their winged prone to being blown out to sea siblings. But there's no gain-of-function evolution here. The genes for flight have been lost it's getting harder to catch fish of even minimum legal size. In some commercial fishery populations, for example Canadian cod, the genes for large sized fish have been completely eliminated. By selectively killing elephants with the largest tusks, poachers for the ivory trade have left behind elephant populations having short or even no tusks. The genes for large tusks are being eliminated. Living in dark underwater caves, natural selection favors eyeless mutant fish over their sighted kin. Eyes in such an environment are a disadvantage as the delicate tissue is prone to injury as fish bump against sharp rocks in the darkness, becoming an entry point for potentially lethal bacteria. Eyelessness clearly represents a loss, not a gain, yet leading evolutionists bizarrely have claimed it as supporting their case. But evolution needs to invent eyesight, not destroy it. Highly prized for traditional Chinese medicine, the Tibetan snow lotus has halved in height during the past century because every year at flowering time, people scour the alpine slopes for the taller plants considered more potent. Only the smaller plants have been left behind to produce seed, and thus the genes for snow lotus tallness are being progressively eliminated from the Himalayas. Far from being one of the top seven examples of evolution in action, as some claim, this observed genetic change is in the wrong direction for primordial ooze to have ever turned into plants and animals. Mutations overwhelmingly degrade genetic information, a downhill process, whereas for microbes to man evolution to be true, Evolutionists should be able to point to thousands of examples of information gaining mutations, an uphill process, but they can't. Note that sometimes, diehard anti-creationists quibble over the definition of information. As information is foundationally an argument from probability, we might expect a few cases of trivial information increases. But evolution requires encyclopedic amounts of new information, Some evolutionists have pointed to nylon-eating bacteria as being a lead candidate. But unfortunately for proponents of evolutionary theory, it turns out not to be new information. Rather, the new ability comes from two typos in an existing enzyme finely tuned to break bonds in certain chemicals. The mutated enzyme is less tuned for its current task, but can digest other chemicals, including nylon, with the same bond. Such mutations are therefore evidence of downhill change, not uphill. They are thus of no help to evolutionists in the climbing of the evolution mountain, representing evolution's mooted uphill journey from microbes to marlin, macaws, magnolias to man, no matter how many millions or billions of years are invoked. From a straightforward view of the evidence from these and other real-world examples, surely it's obvious Natural selection can eliminate, but never create. And we see the mutations are no help to the microbes-to-man evolutionary storyline either. The facts instead fit the Bible's historical account of our post-fall world having originally been created very good, but now being in bondage to decay. The evidence is there for all to see, and the wise to comprehend. Did you know that at creation.com we have several books and videos that can further your understanding of creationism and the issues that Christians are confronted with at church? A great example of our resources you can purchase is the Classic Refuting Pack. It's three books that do an excellent job responding to Christian evolution compromises. The first book in the pack is Refuting Evolution, a hard-hitting critique of the most up-to-date arguments for evolution to challenge educators, students, and parents. It is a powerful yet concise summary of the arguments against evolution and for creation. It helps students and teachers think more critically about origins. This top-selling book has over 450,000 copies in print. And the second book in the pack, Refuting Evolution 2, is a sequel to Refuting Evolution that comprehensively refutes arguments to support evolution, as presented in TV documentaries and Scientific American. Read world leading evolutionists in their own words and then find straightforward answers from science and the Bible. Refuting Evolution 2 will prepare you to answer the best arguments thrown at you by peers, teachers, neighbors, and skeptics. And the third book in the classic pack is Refuting Compromise, a comprehensive and resounding refutation of the position of progressive creationism, like the position of Hugh Ross, whose views cause massive confusion about science and the Bible. Refuting Compromise is one of the most powerful and scientific defenses of a straightforward view of Genesis creation ever written. So get this pack of three excellent books at creation.com slash store. From everyone at CMI, thanks for listening.